welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive Treasures is produced on Jajawarong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. As we spoke about in the episode, Dr Gwyneth Wisewald, 50 Years On, a radio documentary of her life was made in 1983. This was to celebrate her life and the contribution she made to Trentham and the surrounding areas during her 34 years in the area. Anne Braybrook, author of Outpost Doctor and creator of Dr Gwen, 1938-1972, has kindly agreed for us to reproduce that documentary here for you all to enjoy. I'm at the cemetery in Trentham in the central highlands of Victoria. It's a cemetery typical of hundreds in Australia. Some long-forgotten, unmarked graves, some very ordinary tombstones, a scattering of huge, ostentatious granite and marble monuments, a place filled with memories for those whose loved ones lie at rest here. The Trentham Cemetery is set on the edge of this small town, the state forest growing to its boundaries, the darkest greens of the Australian bush. Here at the very back of the cemetery, set among a row of fairly ordinary graves, is one of the least ostentatious of all. The inscription reads, In loving memory of Gwyneth Wisewold, MBBS, beloved daughter of Frank and Isabel Alice Wisewold, died the 20th of January, 1972. At rest. Dr. Gwyneth Wisewold a legendary figure here in Trentham, a most unusual and much-loved person. She lies here among the people she loved and served for over a third of a century. This is the story of a great Australian, Dr Gwen. In 1938, Gwyneth Wisewold gave up her two major specialties in medicine and surgery to seek a quiet life of semi-retirement in the country. Until then, she was senior anaesthetist at a major Melbourne hospital, where she was also a tutor to university medical students. In addition, she was specialist in charge of a large ear, nose and throat clinic. She purchased a small practice in the township of Trentham in Victoria's Central Highlands, 100 kilometres to the north of Melbourne. She was then 47 years old. Dr Gwen's dream of an early retirement was never to be. From the day she arrived in Trentham until the day she died 34 years later, 
It's doubtful if she ever had a day off, let alone a holiday. She became an integral part of the community, an angel of mercy to the residents of Trentham District. Dr Gwynne was no ordinary person, as we shall see. Her manner, her way of dress, her disregard for her own health, her total disdain of money, her passion for dogs. In so many ways, a most unusual person. As the years went by, her people grew to love her. They were proud of Dr Gwynne, or Gwenny, as she was affectionately known. In 1968, she hit the headlines when she set aside a large sum of money to establish the Truganina Foundation for the University Education of Australian Aboriginals, an act typical of her deep concern for the poor and underprivileged. In 1971, she was again in the news with the publication of her book, Outpost, A Doctor on the Divide. The book was a great success and Dr Gwen became almost a household word. She wrote the book not for fame or fortune. It was an attempt to preserve the old tales and the old ways, a medico-social history. If the people of Trentham and District loved her, this love was returned in full by Dr Gwen. I first came in contact with Dr Gwen when I was three years old. My family moved to nearby Blackwood in 1940. We were in very poor circumstances. My father was an invalid, crippled by a damaged heart. Every week or so, she made the journey past our house on her regular visits to her rooms at Blackwood. She would stop and call in on my father, more of a social call than anything. But she always examined Dad's chest while she was there. There was never any charge. Late in 1944, both my brother Frank and I became ill with rheumatic hearts. Frank was confined to his bed for 17 months, I for a lesser time. Dr Gwen attended us once every week, as well as my dad. My mother too became ill. She was also treated by Dr Gwen. In August 1945, my father died suddenly. Dr Gwen was there within 30 minutes of his becoming ill, but she was too late. My father was dead. I can still see the tears in Dr Gwen's eyes as she came from the bedroom and looked to me. Not once in all those years did she ask for or expect payment. We left the district six months after my father died. Dr Gwen had the love and support of many people. One person who was close to her was Sister Kath Tressider, Sister Tress to the people of Trentham. Sister Tress worked side by side with Dr Gwen at the five-bed Trentham Bush Nursing Hospital. Apart from the cook, she was the only staff member. I asked Sister Tress what type of person was Dr Gwen. Oh, very happy, friendly soul who mixed well with people and 
doctors that you usually see. She didn't look the type. But when you got talking to her, you, re you realised that she knew a lot more than she gave any appearance of. Do you know what qualifications she had? Well, mainly ear, nose and throat. They were the ones she had specialised in. But she was good all round. She was absolutely marvellous with cardiacs. Could you describe her clothes for us? Well, usually it was a nice, comfortable pair of boots or shoes and a man's pair of pants and a jacket or a coat. She just wasn't clothes conscious. And yet when she was dressed up, she looked absolutely wonderful. If you saw her in evening dress, you couldn't credit she was the same person. Dr. Gwen's skill as a surgeon was renowned. I asked Sister Tresider if she recalled any particularly interesting occasions. There was one man we had brought there too from a, a stone crusher accident. He did what he shouldn't have done. He kicked his foot out, kicked off the belt. He caught his leg in the belt and he lost his leg about there. And, uh, I was bathing babies when he arrived. It was a bit before 10 in the morning. And the first thing I know, the cook's coming in to tell me there's a man at the door with his leg off. Anyway, they came straight to the hospital. Anyway, she got in touch with doctor while I went to see to him, get a tourniquet on that hay band round his leg. That's all they had handy. I put another one on. And Gwenny came and had a look at him. Then she had to go home for some more bone-cutting instruments because the bone was all shattered. The place was full. The only bed I'd had to put him on was the labour ward bed with a Macintosh under him. And uh, while, I, while I was getting set up for what I knew was a big job, he rings the bell for me and I went in and the blood spurting everywhere. So... This is while Gwenny was getting her instruments. I had to put digital pressure on his leg. Dr Peter Harper arrives in the meanwhile and he's roaming around looking for me, calling at the top of his voice. He opens the labour ward door and he says, Good God, what's happening here? Anyway, he dived out and got some more tourniquets. I couldn't take my thumbs off to release the pressure to go and get anything because the leg kept shrinking as he lost the blood. I had the baby's bath down under the bed where the blood was just dripping into it. It was about a three-hour job, I suppose. The blood bank was up from Melbourne with blood before we finished the operation. had an, a sawmill accident come in one day and I'd been up two nights in a row with two mids. 
And she said to me, you've got to have a sleep. You can't stop up all night tonight. She said, I'll come down. I said, oh, but you can't, doctor. You'll have other things to do. She said, I'll bring me books and I'll send out all my bills. It was well known she never, ever sent out bills. She come down to look after this young chap. He was only about 19. And he was too far gone to transport him anywhere. And he just had to be watched the whole time. Anyway, I got off to bed about 11 o'clock and left her watching the man. And she, had, she didn't get any bills done because he was so restless and so far out to it that uh, it was impossible. Anyway, yeah, she spent the night there and looked after him. But Mummy didn't mean a thing to her. If she had money in her pocket, she's just as willing to hand it out to anybody and everybody. But as for sending out bills, she never had time. Money didn't mean a thing. She was one in a thousand and there'll never, ever be another Dr. Gwen. She was so human. She was so kind to the poor and the old and the elderly and the derelicts. She just was unbelievable. Dr. Wisewell was a very generous person. She'd never turn anybody away. She never married. People say she just didn't have the time. But she never lacked company. She had Miss Bell there, and Miss Bethune was her foster sister. Miss Bell had been a housekeeper, and at that stage, Miss Bell was getting to the stage that she was spending a lot of time in bed. She looked after Miss Bell until she died. She wouldn't have anyone else look after because she said Miss Bell had been so good to her. In the 1960s, Dr. Gwen was devastated by a great loss. Her lovely old home, set on a crest of the High Street Hill, was destroyed, along with all her possessions. Fire took everything. She had some of the most beautiful furniture and paintings. She had one painting alone that was valued at a thousand pounds that she had shown me. And some of her furniture, if you saw it in an antique store, they could put any price they liked on it and they'd have got it. It all went in the fire. convent was empty at that stage and the lady that owned it had bought it let her move in there 
she still had the surgery down the street and she used the old convent residence as her home then and the ladies of the town had a working bee and cleaned it up and then they had a pantry to or kitchen to you call it what you like and took along all sorts of things to it but she was left with literally nothing after the fire. Gwenny was far too busy with looking after the health of her people to worry about everyday things like tidiness. A visit to her surgery was a rather interesting experience. I asked Sister Tressida if Dr Gwen was a tidy person. No. That just didn't... That was like her clothes. That didn't matter. But yet she could always put her finger on anything. If you wanted anything, she'd say, mm, now where is it? And she'd go straight to the spot. She knew exactly where it was and anything in the house, if anyone asked her where it was. She always knew where it was. But clothes and tidiness didn't matter a scrap. Many of her patients were itinerant workers, potato diggers and timber workers. Some were rather dirty, it seems. <laughs> You'd have to see them to believe them. Some of them had never had a decent wash, I don't think. But still, she didn't worry about that as long as they needed help. Much of Gwen's work was done without aid, either from colleagues or modern drugs. It wasn't until after the Second World War that miracle drugs such as penicillin and sulphur were readily available. Dr Gwen was one of the first to see the value of such drugs, but storage was a bit of a problem. Well, as soon as they were readily available, she got them, but she didn't have enough storage for them. So she used to keep them in the butcher shop freezer. And she had a key to the butcher shop, and if she wanted them, she had the arrangement with the butcher that she'd go and get what she wanted and lock up his shop for him again. Sister Tress was a great admirer of Dr Gwen's healing abilities. She recalls her treatment of one elderly man. He was 78 and he had a perforated ulcer. He lived about five miles out, I suppose. She got me to go to him this day. It was New Year's Day. Nobody was available anywhere. And um, she was down there. Had to go to Coynton to get salines and stuff for transfusion. And she transfused that man at home. And I stayed there and looked after him. She was backwards and forwards all the time. That man lived to be about 96 and 97. Dr Gwen never turned anybody away. 
I was called up to her place one day to lay out a man and she didn't know who, other than the name he told her. He was just an old tramp. In those days there were a lot of, you know, people travelling around looking for work and that. They weren't getting the dole on that. And she'd taken him in and was looking after him and he had had a heart attack and died on her. He was up in her house. I just had to go and lay him out. I suppose she buried him, I don't know. She wouldn't have got a fee. She was concerned about the person, not the exterior. Her cars were rather old, fairly neglected, and sometimes, especially in freezing winter weather, the battery wouldn't turn the motor. But she always left the car out ready on the slope of the hill, ready to step into and go. She came to do a mid one night at the hospital. She had some old tramp in the car. He got in there to sleep. He was drunk, of course. And she tried to get him out and he wouldn't get out and she thought she couldn't wait. I'd rang for her for this mid. So she got into the car and drove him. She said, well, you can stop there. She always said she wanted to die in harness. Well, she did die in harness. How many doctors do you know who take home the hospital laundry? Sister Tress continues. There was one afternoon there, we'd done about six tonsils, and our washing machine wasn't going. I was feeling a bit glum about it. I wasn't looking forward to all the washing I'd have to do. And I was watching the patients as they come out and Dr. Wiseswell come round to where I was with the children and she said, I'm off now. She said, I've taken your washing. I didn't take any heat of it. I went out after it and I said to it, where's the washing gone? Oh, she said, Dr. Wiseswell bundled all that up and took it. She knew our washing machine was out of action. She took it home and washed it. Mr. Wally Sweet, a lifelong resident of the tiny bush settlement of Blackwood, has good reason to remember Dr. Gwen. She saved my brother's life, and he's got his leg crushed at the salt and mine, and a crushing rock for the forestry. Mm. He was caught with a belt just below the knee, the severe burns right up to his uh, side. And he was in hospital for quite some time. I had to have him take the legs in and got him to hospital in Trinidad. Yeah. And uh, his own remedies. He cured the burn and saved him from losing the whole of his leg. Dr. Gwen was a fun-loving person. She often attended socials and dances around the district. Wally Sweet continues. I said one night, I was doing some travel. Dressing, yeah, uh, evening dress on, or whatever you call them, you know. Yeah, right, yeah. Dance around it. 
Chatting with the old talking to the boys, talking to Spags. And she ran out. But the old thing sent foot, put it out. Pushed it up to the evening dress, straight underneath to the working clubber. <laughs> Men's clothes. <laughs> out come the cigarettes, and the matches lit up again. He smoked heavy, and she was rough. I don't worry about that, but when she got to the knife and operated, she'd be one of the best surgeons you've ever made. Mick Walker is getting along in years. He too has spent most of his life in Blackwood. Mick is just another with fond and lasting memories of Dr. Gwen. Well, you couldn't get a better doctor anyway. She made herself at home wherever she went and uh, and I think 99% of the people you know thought the world of her. Um, she used to make this her home. She could come in any time. If we were in bed she'd come in and make herself a cup of tea and then go on home. Well, she used to dress as a man, you know, and uh, uh, she'd get around in men's clothing because she reckoned it was easier. But uh, as far as she was concerned, well, you couldn't get anybody better. Oh, she was good, there's no doubt about it. I remember one night that uh, she went down the point and there was an old chap cooked there and she didn't know how the dickens she was going to get him out and she put him on a wheelbarrow and brought him out, wheeled her out, wheeled him out to the car and got him in the car and took him into the hospital. down Golden Point and uh, she was going to take her into the hospital and anyway she said I think I'll go and see another patient and come back later she came back and when she came back the patient was dead she knew like that she was dying and she didn't want to upset the people too much and she said, rang me up one night and Jack, uh, Frank Terrell had put a battery in a car and uh, anyway uh, he, he never had a spanner to tighten up the terminals and she came out here and she got stuck up on the road near 10 Madison's place and she rang me to see if I'd go up and uh, have a look and see if I could fix her car so I went up and uh, well she said uh, I haven't got any light she says and the car won't start, and she says, I haven't even got a horn. Well, I said, you are in a bad way. <laughs> She'd go anywhere, the road into Blackwood, you'd drive in there, into Trentham at least, or Cordroy, and 
in the wet weather. It, it, you'd hit a bump and the mud and all that aside, you have to get out and wipe your lights, you know, to see to get through. And Nord was a terrible track where she used to come backwards and forwards. And when she died, she wanted to be buried in the cemetery of Trenton, and that's where she was buried. She was just, you know, one of the mobs brought up. She, she never considered herself any better than the next person. No, you couldn't couldn't get a better doctor or a better person. When Nancy's mother was crook, uh, she wanted to pay her account, and uh, anyhow, she couldn't get any satisfaction out of how much it was of that. And, Eventually, Mrs. Terrell gave me the money to go and give it to her. And when I handed her the money, she said, what's this for? And I said, Mrs. Terrell wants to pay you for her operation. And she scratched her head and she said, I don't remember sending her out a bill. And uh, she says, no, she says, put it in your pocket and take it home and tell her to keep it. I remember one fellow, one time, he owed her some money he had received an account from her. And, uh, I said, oh, I said, go and pay her. I said, so anyway, he went over and he was expecting that probably she wouldn't charge him, but anyhow, she took it. <laughs> that was one of the rare occasions that I can remember. Would you have any enemies? I wouldn't think so. I, I don't think she could know the man anymore. At the Trentham Bush Nursing Hospital, I met several patients. One of them, Mrs. Groves, a bright little old lady resting in her bed, had this to say. Dr. Gramley, very well. We used to correspond. Did you really? Yes. Birthdays and greetings and what have you. And uh, I often used to go to her surgery and have a talk to her. And uh, her real great friends, I loved her. She was a wonderful, wonderful person. Oh, I knew her well for close on 
30 years. I remember one day in particular, I had a friend with me. It was a Saturday morning. We were in her surgery talking to her, and the train whistle blew. And she said, oh my God, there's a bloody train, I better go. Alma Sly is a part-time occupational therapist at the hospital. I asked her if she remembered when she first met Dr. Gwen. Yes, yes, I, I first met uh, Dr. Gwen when we came down from uh, Queensland to live in Trentham, and that was 1963. What was your impression when you first saw her? Well, uh, I had been uh, told about her that she dressed in... Uh, in male clothing and, uh, you know, that uh, uh, it's quite a shock when you first see her, there's, there's no doubt about it, but uh, when you um, spoke to her, you could see that how highly educated she was and what a, what a lady she was underneath all this exterior um, charade that she really hid behind. She really was a lady. She had never, never forgotten her uh, fine breeding. Another lady I met at the Trentham Hospital was Mrs. O'Brien. As a person, mm -hmm. and uh, I found she was a very human person and very lovable, and she did so much good work here that was never heard about. She had one old man, a pensioner. He lived in a hut out in the bush. He was dying with a cancer. He didn't want to go to hospital. She looked after him, went out daily, and when he died, she prepared him for burial. Mr. Don Sly serves on the committee of the Trentham Bush Nursing Hospital. He too had a lot of respect and regard for Dr. Gwen. I thought Dr. Gwen was a wonderful, wonderful woman. She was a, an excellent doctor and um, she was just a fine lady. Bruce McKenzie has lived in Trentham all his life. The son of the local storekeeper, he and his wife Faye live in a neat weatherboard cottage in Cosma Road within a stone's throw of Dr. Gwen's former surgery. Bruce was only 12 when he first met Dr. Gwen, in rather unusual circumstances. I hadn't met her until uh, 
We took a dog to her for treatment. Uh, we were at the bush, three of us, and uh, this dog ran into a, a stick. And the stick ended the uh, eye socket and uh, snapped off, and we couldn't get it out. So one of the boys said, well, I hear the new doctor's good with animals. So we decided we'd take the dog down to the doctor and see if she, she'd help us. So uh, we took the dog down there, and uh, she came out and had a look at it. And, and uh, she finally removed this splinter, which was about, oh, at least two inches long. Gone to the eye socket and snapped off, and she got a pair of uh, pliers and pulled it out. Doctor White, well, no, she she mm. patted the dog and talked to it, and, and she removed the splinter. But uh, the dog, instead of being grateful, used to attack her every time. She went to the house after that. <laughs> Never forgave her. Very likable person, in my estimation, anyway. Good sense of humour. She used to organise a lot of uh, concerts during the war for uh, to raise funds for different organisations during the war. And uh, we used to have plays and skits and goodness knows what. And uh, she's always one, always one of the chief organisers for that uh, type of thing. And uh, she used to always uh, make up her own poems and recite them. And uh, I remember one night she dressed up as uh, Winston Churchill. And she's the real thing. <laughs> Cigar in the mouth. <laughs> she used uh, Winston Churchill right enough. out of a machine and uh, smashed his eye socket to smithereens and uh, she could never replace the eye because uh, well the eye was, was gone and uh, the socket was smashed into I forget how many fragments <coughs> and uh, she pieced all those fragments together and, and built a new eye socket. We mentioned earlier Dr Gwen's rather rough exterior and her disregard sometimes for the practice of using sterile materials Bruce tells me of one of his experiences. And, uh, she came and she sat in the chair by the bed and uh, she talked to me for a long time and, uh, well, she, she used to have a habit of that. She'd come in and she'd sit down and she'd talk to you. She'd talk about all manner of things, but all the time she's sort of looking at you and, you know, trying to size you up. And uh, this night she said, well, I'll better take his temperature. So she had the old coat on. She put the hand in the pocket of the, of the coat and pulled out a handful of biro pens and bits of loose tobacco and goodness knows what and she fished around amongst that and she found the thermometer which she popped straight into the mouth. <laughs> well, her stomach started to go round and round and round. <laughs> it was only by good luck that I managed to hang on to it. But <laughs> anyway, I said to her later in the night, I said, I think you took my temperature with a borrowed pen doctor. She only laughed. She'd go into the surgery and oh, you'd have to clear a chair to clear the things off the chair before you could sit down and when she wanted to find a instrument, well, she had to fish around on the table and amongst other things, <laughs> specimens and goodness knows what. And uh, there was always a little bit of rust on the tools, but it didn't seem to worry her. It didn't seem to hurt anybody either. Trentham has changed little in the past 100 years. Its chief industry is still the Trawella Brothers Foundry, combined with timber milling and potato growing. These days, however, 
there are less itinerant seasonal workers. Much of the work is mechanised and the demand for imported labour has declined. It was different in the 1940s. In, th in those times we had a lot of seasonal workers here in the, in the wintertime digging potatoes. And uh, I remember one uh, chap, he, he was going home drunk and a lot of them used to go up along the railway line and take a shortcut out up the road to the, some of the farms and uh, this chap had fallen over and uh, hit his head on the, on the on one of the rails and cut his head and uh, he didn't bother to do anything about this cut on the head and of course the flies got to it and, and, and blew the cut and uh, when he did finally get to the doctor the maggots were about an inch long but uh, <laughs> she cleaned him up and he was okay but, um, she said that the maggots probably kept the wound from becoming infected. Sometimes you would get a medication with someone else's name on it. You know, they, they, they were better or they died, you know. Put some medicine there, you couldn't waste it. Bruce tells the story now of a farmer and his experience. Well, I got the flu. <coughs> and uh, we ran back to White Roll. Anyway, she was too busy or she forgot. She never ever turned up, of course. His wife got better. And it uh, wasn't so long after that that... Uh, the horse kicked the, the dog and broke the dog's leg and she's down in half an hour. Chuck the family one day and uh, he was trying to put a, put a, uh, a belt back onto a big pulley wheel which was still moving. And he had an iron bar which he was trying to lift the belt up onto a hook with. And uh, he, uh, he waved to one side and uh, one of the spokes of the wheel at the end of the iron bar and drove it up through his chest within two inches of it coming out his back. And he pushed the heart to one side and uh, <coughs> the plug just gushed out of him like a tap and we all thought he was dead. And the doctor was there within a few minutes and uh, she saved his life. He lived to, to be an old man. You got to be a very poor driver, as Laddie is. <laughs> uh, it was all right for the locals because we, we knew her and we'd see a, a vehicle coming and we'd give her a pretty wide berth, but it's been pretty rough on strangers because uh, so a utility would come around corners on the wrong side or flop on the wrong side of the street and uh, weave across in front of you and you're never, you never too sure which way she's going to go. But uh, she never caused any accidents or had any accidents that I can recall. But, uh, she bore watching her bloody years. Sometimes she'd be so tired that you'd see a, a car parked along the road somewhere and she'd just be sitting there like this, you know, and you'd pull up and to see if she was all right. She'd just having a nap and she'd have a nap for a little while and away she'd go again. And uh, sometimes down the road to Tulum there she'd be pulled up on the side of the road and she'd, she'd be painting. She's a pretty good artist.
half the time she wouldn't send in an, in an account. And anybody in poor circumstance, they never received an account. Uh, they all, had all their medication free. And uh, I remember one, somebody's talking about one, one kitty, relative of mine actually, he's 20 years old and they still hadn't had an account from when he was born. <laughs> so uh, I don't suppose they ever got one. I don't think you'd find another <coughs> person like her in the medical profession, not, not nowadays. Uh, nowadays people sort of like, from, like to work from nine till five and, and knock off, but she never knocked off. She, she was a full-time professional country doctor and uh, she's on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> she's a great loss to this area anyway. She's known for many miles around and um, she's a pretty wonderful person. Earlier, we mentioned that Dr Gwen stored her drugs in the local butcher's shop refrigerator. Arthur Beattie was that butcher. He's now retired and lives with his wife in Bridge Street, Trentham. I asked Arthur his opinion of Dr Gwen. Well, she's wonderful. Yes, oh, gosh. Well, a misser even today, you see, she just can't talk about anything. Oh, yes. Yes, no doubt about it. She's not only a doctor, she's your friend, rather, but oh, I don't, don't know I've ever heard anybody had anything against her. But no, there'll never be another funeral like that here in Trentham, I'm sure. There's people from everywhere. Melbourne and anywhere at all. I don't know how you describe it. just somebody that you, uh, you really love the whole girl. No. But she'd fit in anywhere, you see. It didn't matter what she'd be advised. In any company at all, she'd be part of it. Oh, yes, well, she's uh, everybody like, loved that sort of business, you see. Oh, yes, she was really one of the family as far as we're concerned. Jack Main is also a lifelong resident of Trentham. He operates a small shoe and drapery store in High Street. He's president of the local fire brigade, and president of the Trentham Bush Nursing Hospital Committee. He too spoke of Dr Gwen in glowing terms. Obviously, she was a very good friend as well as the family doctor. Bruce McKenzie mentioned earlier that Dr Gwen's driving wasn't the best. Jack Main relates one of his experiences with Dr Gwen's driving. Uh, one humorous, well it wasn't actually humorous, in 1950, I graduated from motorbikes to a, to a motor car and uh, Dr Gwen used to come to the old horse trough in Market Street to give the old dod you to drink you know, every, every few hours it would run dry and boil of course and uh, anyhow uh, I thought to myself, my ute parked over the other side of the road, and I'm on a hell of a risk because she used to just reverse around, you know. Sure enough, she reversed around right into the side of the, of the ute, and of course she didn't even know she hit it. And uh, I said to her the next day, I, gee, give my ute a decent sort of a nod, nudge doctor, and she says, 
Oh, did I? She said I didn't even see it there. As we said earlier, Dr. Gwen's generosity was famous throughout the Highlands area. Jack Main recalls one instance of her generosity. Dr. Gwen operated on her. She came back to the Trentham Hospital and we could never ever get a, a bill out of her for the operation. We were covered by medical benefits. And we just gave up in the finish because, oh, she said, I will one day, but she had no intention. Like I would say, uh, probably, I don't know really, but I would say a good 50% of the babies she brought into the world she would have never ever sent a bill for. started to recede, she uh, wore a wig. <laughs> her head used to get itchy, so she she wouldn't put her finger under the... She'd, she'd move the whole lot of it. Uh, she'd, go to, she'd go to the balls in, uh, in Trentham and uh, she'd be dancing around and she'd have her man's trousers on underneath the, underneath the evening gown. Yeah. She wouldn't uh, dress up like that. She was always good to us. She always used to come if we rang up, and sometimes I think she used to forget she'd have to remind her two or three times. I was at the hospital meeting the night that she got sick, and uh, she said she didn't feel well, and the uh, sister in charge, Sister Beatty, took her in and laid her down, and uh, said, well, she better rest for a little while. She said, no, I'm going. And anyhow, she got worse and worse, and. Uh, she said, I oh, know, you better stay the night. So, uh, oh, I think about one o'clock in the morning, she took a turn for the, for the worst and she died.
she used to uh, go to the to the station of a night and pick up the medicine and she delivered the medicine around the town and when she unpacked the medicine uh, she'd have you know all the packing and that in the box from the station she'd unpack it at the station and she'd write uh, out the um, like how many tablets to take etc and uh, she'd throw the box in the in the uh, station wagon, it was little Hillman station wagon. And finish up, she only had enough room to sit in it herself. Just a decent person. Greatly, great loss to the town when she went, really. How would you describe her, in summary? It was a fantastic person. I don't think that uh, words could express what a lovable person she was and what a sincere person she was. She was, uh, she would do anything for anyone. In the heart of the township of Trentham is an imposing monument erected by public subscription. The inscription, set beneath a bronze bust of a smiling Dr. Gwynne, reads, in memory of Dr. Gwyneth Wisewold, 1891, to 1972. Trentham and District Doctor from 1938 to 1972. Erected by a grateful public. Grace Rayner of Blackwood sums up the feelings of the people of the district in her poem, Dr. Gwen, read now by Justin Shortall. You must have heard of Dr. Gwen, they say with love and pride. She practiced here for 30 years or more before she died. A quiet, familiar figure, the best known in the town. Her name, a living legend, the countryside around. The battered ute she drove about the bush and through the town. She mastered all those winding bends and knew them upside down. She never balked when called upon her duties to perform and many's the night she'd have to leave her fire snug and warm. She'd venture out in freezing cold, in storm and rain and sleet. We'd hear her car go chugging through the dismal, empty street. She always had the time to stop and have a friendly chat. Often just to say, hello, and talk of this and that. She loved the trips to Blackwood through stately gums so tall. Her rooms at Blackwood House were filled with patients old and small. The town held her in high esteem. She was a friend to all. To the old, the young, the needy folk, a willing ear she'd lend. 
Many who first saw the light of day in this fair land perhaps would not be here today without her helping hand. We miss the friendly figure in the man's coat, pants and hat and find ourselves recalling when Dr. Gwen said that her passing brought an emptiness and sadness to us all. But the district will remember as her deeds they do recall. The day when she was laid to rest, the stores and shops closed down and many a silent tear was shed throughout that morning town. And though no longer with us now to help, advise and heal, she'll stay with us forever in our memories, fond and real. Yes, of course you've heard of Dr. Gwyn, they say with love and pride. Her name will live in history, a doctor on the divide. Once again, our enormous thanks to Ian Braybrook, both for making the documentary in 1983, and especially for allowing us to share it with you all now. Thanks, Ian. You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill, and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and the Podbean app. Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs at trentham.org or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more archive treasures. Archive Treasures